0: Welcome to the CoinRivet podcast. I'm Jeff Gross. CoinRivet makes it easy to buy, sell, send, and store cryptocurrencies quickly in one place. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We have another very special guest today, the man Patrick Price, known as AXE Pat. How you doing, man?
1: Good, man. Good. Uh, long day, but excited to be here and,
0: uh, and and talk to you, man. It's been a while. Oh, there we go. I got the twitch leg on the side. Well, listen, I, I don't think I've seen you since, what, was it 20? It was like 18, 17. We ran Set, Late 17. 17, Punta Cana, down there playing some poker. Before, you know, we're going to talk about gaming. That's your specialty. You got a lot going on in that world. What is your poker uh, ability and, and how much have you played? Just so we got, can appease the, the poker side of the, the podcast that people in here listening and want to know.
1: Yeah, so I was a big poker fan. Um, that's kind of how I got that opportunity to go to Punta Cana. Yeah. Um, I think it was the Punta Cana Poker Classic. Um, a contact at Twitch, um, obviously from my gaming background, had messaged me and knew I was into poker, um, presented me with the offer, and I don't know. I don't know how to gauge my skills. I don't remember what I placed in that tournament. Um, I'd like to think I'm an above-average player, but uh, but yeah, no, I've always had an interest in poker. Always watched the the big events, um, and definitely something I want to dive back into. Being in the U.S., it's always tough, um, but yeah, that's kind of. Kind of my thoughts on poker.
0: (laughs) Very, very nice. And so you you dove into game. You're 27 years old. We'll talk about your next sort of phase, chapter that you're you're moving into uh and development and gaming and and cover all that. But give me kind of how you you broke into competitive gaming and what it was like. You know, with the family, what were they saying? Because you know, I grew up. I played video games. I'm a little older, 35 years old, but there wasn't Twitch. There wasn't this this sort of um, world and sports and scholarships what was it like for you to tell your family friends like, Hey, this is like my job and I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing this for a living. How, how did you kind of get into it and how did they receive that?
1: For the longest time it was, it was borderline impossible. Um, so I grew up in a pretty sports dominated family. Uh, my brother went on to play at bit college baseball. We were a big baseball family. Um, and so for me, I had always been a gamer. I mean, I had an older brother, right? He's six years older than me. So um, I was kind of at a young age getting those, access to early gaming systems and stuff um and yeah i just fell in love with it um even on the very casual side to start um playing every shooter i could probably get my hands on uh it wasn't until about 2007 2008 that i really realized this competitive world right existed um obviously the money was nowhere near what it was today so you know me being late middle school early high schooler kind of explain to my parents why I'm putting so much time into this and Hey, can I have $25 for an entry fee for a tournament? Um, it, it was, a it was a weird convo back then. Cause it wasn't something that had a, uh, you know, it had no precedent. No, it wasn't really known. Um, and then, yeah, I eventually I decided that, you know, this was something I was super passionate about. I wanted to go full time with, um, so I ended up quitting, quitting, playing sports, which that in itself was a convo with my dad. That was pretty difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and then you know, it wasn't until about I started making a little bit of money, right? Back then it was just online tournaments. Maybe I'd win fifty bucks, a hundred bucks. Um, but those little checks started adding up, and my parents got to the point where you know, as long as I kept my grades up, they were gonna they were gonna be cool with it. Um, but I think the changing point was when I uh, when I qualified for a tournament. This was like the first LAN tournament I ever went to. Um, it was in Dallas, Texas, in 2010. I was 15 years old. And my dad obviously wasn't gonna like let me travel. He didn't know what was going on. Travel to another state to play a tournament. Uh, he came with me. And once he kind of saw the scope of everything, that that was the changing point for I think my life and just my parents' kind of uh, idea about what I'm doing in general. Once he saw how big this was, and then from there, yeah, it was about um, about an eleven year nonstop
0: grind. It's crazy. And so, what was the prize money like then versus now? Because you know, this is something in poker; it's very. Um, you know, you know what the prize pools are. It shows there on Twitch. It's a storyline. It's kind of there. And, and I, I never really understand the prize. Movie. I know more, more has come into it and it's gotten bigger. But like when you were doing that, what was it like? Well, what, what were you shooting at? Was, explain a bit about like contracts, deals. I know you've been with some of the biggest names, biggest teams in the game. So, so tell me about kind of the landscape of that.
1: Yeah, so back in 2010, uh, that nationals tournament I had mentioned, which was kind of like the you know the end of the year, made it was a Super Bowl right for Call of Duty uh, for each year. Um, I think the the prize pool was 20 grand, so total 20 grand. Uh, we ended up getting second. I think my team took home like six, so it was like 1,500 each. Um, I, I actually I said this the other day. I, I didn't even break even with my like with my my travel, my dad's travel, hotels. Um, didn't break even. Um, there was no sponsorships really back then, no big name teams that were involved for Call of Duty. So, um, you know, it was all self-funded travel and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, the scene kept kind of developing and growing, you know, prize pools would get, you know, a little bit bigger each year. Um, it wasn't until about 2013 that Activision, who's the publisher for Call of Duty said, Hey, we're going to have these million dollar tournaments once a year. Um, that's when you kind of saw the big names get involved and, and that's when it became very serious. That was 2013, um, I was actually a college student going for computer science, um, and I dropped and I dropped out. Right, I was like, "Hey, this is getting serious. There's an opportunity to make some real money." Um, my team did really well that year. That was probably one of my best years in Call of Duty. We we kind of we ran the the league. We I think we won eight out of nine of the tournaments. Right. Um, and then I was still zero salary. We were on a, a contracted team. Uh, it was Complexity Gaming. Zero salary. Uh, it wasn't until after that year that we won all that that we finally got five hundred bucks a month, so you know i'm a I'm a nineteen or twenty year old college college student at the time, and I finally got a five hundred dollars a month salary which was which was massive for me back then um but yeah, I would say kind of the landscape is each year the scene kept growing, salaries doubled, prize pools started getting bigger um and then now nowadays you know i mean back in twenty twenty there's three hundred thousand dollar contracts floating around so um, things definitely kind of elevated fast, but for the people who were in very early, it was a tough, tough road.
0: And you know, when you say that you're getting the monthly money, what, uh, what other ways were you making money? Did you have affiliate deals? Were you working on the side? Cause I mean, that's like, yeah, it's nice. It's the money, but like, that's really not, uh, you're talking about a hundred dollars a week to $125 a week. You have expenses costs and, and whatnot. I mean, what, what else were you doing at this time? Like, what were you, what, what was the, what was like the general, uh, cause it seems like it was still early right in the industry. And so what were, did, could you sense it? Was it like, all right, I know this isn't amazing, but it's gonna, there's a real opportunity. Or was it like you were, you know, give me your mindset at that moment.
1: Yeah. So when I dropped out of college um, I think the big, I actually placed fourth in that million dollar tournament that we mentioned uh, and I made twenty five thousand dollars, so it was a split between me and my team, one hundred thousand split. We got twenty five k each. Um, so that really was the the only way to make money back then was the prizing. Like you had the you had to place well if you really wanted to commit to this and do this full time. Because like you said, yeah, the five hundred dollars a month was just a guarantee, um, but that wasn't enough to cover you know anything. Um, so really, uh, the prize pool was really the biggest thing, and then uh, Twitch kind of started to develop. Uh, back, back in that time. So a lot of people started, you know, giving more time to content, but, um, that was really it. There wasn't much affiliate action back then. I know there were a few sites and controller companies or, you know, peripheral companies that offered those affiliate deals, but it really wasn't enough to justify, um, you know, a living, right? So, um... Yeah, back then it was nothing. It was it was scary. It was We were always kind of hoping that this trajectory would keep going up and up and up. Uh, we didn't know it at the time, but things were looking good. The game was looking healthy. The community was obviously growing and building, and there was a lot of hype generating just around Call of Duty as an eSport. And uh, it took some time, but it eventually paid off for, for a lot of us.
0: And did you – what was your – what was kind of the, the breakthrough moment? Like, do you remember a moment – Where you were like, "Wow, this is real now," or like the prize pool was so big, um, or you know there was a deal that you got secured or offered. Like, when did things like really? Do you think was there was there an inflection point where things shifted to being like really more serious and more people could do this for a living?
1: Um, It was 2014 when I won the world championship. Um, You know, I was a 20 21 year old kid and I, I won 100 grand, right? And that's that was massive for me. That was kind of the big turning point just in my life where I'm like wow, my life is going to change, right? Because of this, because um, that was life-changing money. Uh, it is today, it was then. Um, but I think that was really, because I think even then we were still on $500 a month salary, right? Like that was still our, our guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, but that winning that tournament, and I think we ended up grossing like, or not grossing, we ended up making roughly like 140K in prize earnings that year, my team. So each of us made that. Um, that, w- that to me was just a life-changing moment. Um, and then kind of as time went on, I would say salary-wise and that guarantee kind of flipped around 2017 um, when the baseline salary for most of the pro players and pro teams became about 4 a month, which, you know, I mean, 50 a year, depending depending on where you live, like it's, it could be tough. But for us, you know, we were doing something we loved and we had the opportunity to make more money with prizing and, and whatnot. So um, 2017 is when it kind of became... Real in the sense of we had those guarantees where we didn't have to be the best team in the world and make the most prize money every year to get by.
0: And and what was the pressure like? Because you know, for poker, usually maybe you have backers or you don't have whatever you know. There's there's like a you're risking your own money, and here it's not necessarily you're risking your own money, right? The prize pool is put up, but it's actually it's a lot. Like that's a huge difference: 100k, 25k, 0k. Like you know, how how would you say you dealt with the pressure? And do you think that this was this was uh, something that that a lot of people struggled with because because of, the of swings. Like for your success, someone had failure that year or the next year, right? Like you didn't, you know, twenty fifteen or sixteen. You know, tell me about what the what the actual difference in, in money, the, the the placing. Maybe give me like one through five, or you know, was it literally like all or nothing? Or if you got third or worse, you really didn't get anything. How, how are the payout structures?
1: Yeah, so I kind of mentioned that World Championship event that was the Super Bowl for us. Um, yeah. But the events outside of that, I would say there's probably seven to ten a year uh give or take um and those those prize events were small right that was like 20k total purse 50k total purse um stuff like that so there was a ton of pressure um you know the the, the world championship was everything for every player because um, that's really where you could kind of make make some real money um the other stuff was mostly just getting by and and yeah the the prize really fizzles out as you go down you only pay out the top eight 32 teams qualify for that world championship event. So, like, if you're not in the top eight, you basically made none. Um, and, and there was a lot of pressure on top of that because, you know, we're in a team dynamic. where a team of four. We're representing an organization. You know, you could get dropped at any time, right? Released from contract, off the team. And you got to go back into the, you know, let's just say the world and, and find a new team. Find new guys that you're going to be able to play with. and And you don't know how that will look, right? There's no guarantee on who you're going to get picked up by, the level of skill the guys that you're going to be playing with, you know, become. Um, so there's a ton of pressure and a lot of players. And, and I think over the, over the years, you really saw a lot of players fizzle out, right? Like they just kind of met that point where they, they didn't see the return. They didn't see the guarantee. So they, so they left the scene, went on and did something else with their life. So, um, I was super fortunate to have a really good stretch of years there. Um, 20, 2016 was probably one of my worst years in terms of just, um, overall income. I started off on a really good, really good team, really good income. I think we were making like 3k a month in 2016. Um, but, but yeah, I didn't make much prize money. Um, I probably made 20k throughout the year in prize money. And I wasn't on that team the whole year making that 3k salary. I think I, it was around March that I or April that actually I was released from that team and I went to making no salary. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, it's it's a, it's a volatile world if you're not at the top. Um, and it's, and it's something that's, you know, it's kind of a risk versus reward scenario. So um. can,
0: can you give me a little bit of insight on like when you say you join a team, like let's take the best experience you had or one of the favorite teams you were on, like how, who is managing it? Who's the owners or a coach? Like break down when you say a team, what's your interaction with the various, various roles or, or, or people like figureheads within it, you know, is that, and how old are the owners like that you're usually dealing with? And, and is it one?
1: Yeah. So, um, I was pretty, uh, pretty fortunate to kind of always be the captain of my team. We always kind of had roles within the team, even, even that, you know, it doesn't really mean what captains means in sports, but kind of just like the one who's handling most of the stuff. Um, but for a lot of these teams, you know, these were major established organizations, cloud nine, envy, um, complexity. These are, these are big brands, right? Evil geniuses. Um, so they have a corporate structure within them and, uh, It was kind of funny kind of seeing now um how much you know because like back then you were basically talking to the ceo of the company right away right like that's just how um i guess grassroots kind of it felt back then um in comparison to how you know structured it is now and compartmentalized um but yeah i mean these are 40 50 year old you know grown men business owners uh who kind of just had a passion for gaming and esports and and made these teams and you know might have had investment group backing them or whatnot but um, saw the potential in kind of you know investing in Call of Duty in this space, um, so so yeah, it was interesting. It was a lot of kind of you know going over logistics and and throwing out comparables to you know where your team ranks versus the other teams who are getting paid this. Um, so kind of a lot went into it, but it it definitely grew as time went on and got more I would say more structured to how a typical business would be nowadays, but um yeah we were we were basically just like hey this is our team we are doing this well we placed this well at x you know the last few tournaments um we'd love to represent your brand your team um and kind of go from there and sometimes it was opposite right sometimes the teams were reaching out to the players like or or the the organizations were reaching out to the teams like hey we want you guys to come and be our team um so it kind of varies but um for for, you know i was a 19 20 21 year old kid back then like that was always a kind of nerve-wracking and it was a learning experience that I kind of learned real fast on how how some stuff works on the on the business side.
0: Yeah, and you were I see that you teamed with TP. Is that correct for like three and a half years? That was one of the longest. What does that mean exactly? You guys were just on a four person team together that long, or were you actually like co streaming? Like two of you were, were alternating, or on what does that mean when you guys were the longest running duo ever in professional yeah, Call of Duty? Yeah,
1: so I met TP uh, back in two thousand and ten uh, on the Call of Duty Modern Warfare two. Uh, he was just a kid in California. I was a kid in North Carolina, and we only knew each other online. Um, but we teamed nonstop for about four and a half years there, right? We were always two of the four guys on our team, and we kind of you know, switched members out um, a couple years. But but we just – yeah, we had a long a long streak, and we had a lot of success together. We got along really well, and we liked how each other played the game and thought about the game. Um, and, and we had a lot of kind of just – you know, we were friends at the end of the day. Um, there was some um, – weird situation where, uh, another organization basically bought, bought him and some of my other teammates out. And that's kind of what split us up originally. Um, which is just a part of the business, I guess it happens with all sports and trades and stuff. Um, we eventually had another stint after that for about a year, a couple years later. Uh, and then he ended up retiring and becoming a coach. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was some of the best, you know, times of my life and something i always, always remember.
0: Very cool. And, is this now with, could, you know, there, there's scholarships, right? Universities, there's League of Legends teams and Call of Duty. Could you maybe give me a, the most standard, I guess, is different for conferences and things. Like, I think I heard something about the Big Ten giving scholarships for League of Legends. Correct me if I'm wrong, or could you tell me a little bit about the college landscape and and, and different leagues and, and uh, scholarships and, and what's being offered for, for universities for gaming right now?
1: Yeah. So the, for Call of Duty specifically, uh, there's something that just kind of, you know, uh, developed over the last, I'd probably say two years. Uh, it's called the CCL, the College Call of Duty League. Um, and actually, some of my friends now are actually playing in it. Right. So they're offering these scholarships to go and attend their schools and get their degrees. And, you know, they're going to be a part of that college team playing in this college league You know, nationwide. There's a bunch of a bunch of colleges involved. Um and but so like, I give was, me an Is it the
0: Big Ten? Is it Ivy Leagues? Is it Pac Ten? Is it like random? Like how how wide uh, and how far does it go? I'm
1: not I'm not sure how big it goes in terms of you know the specific universities. I know there are a few big names that are involved. Um, I don't know the comparison exactly to kind of break down the structure. There's the Call of Duty League, which is kind of the pros, top of the top. That's where they're playing. There's 12 teams. Under that, there is the Challengers Division. Right, these are like the semi pros or aspiring pros. And a lot of them play in the college league as well. Um, if mm-hmm. they get that opportunity, if they get that scholarship and they but want to. Is it
0: based actually like, is it like university of Michigan, for example, would have a team or is it like you could go anywhere in the country and you're on one of the 12 teams. So you could play from any university, but be part of a team.
1: So outside of the call of duty league, which are just city based, those are sh- very strict. Those are their city regions. Mm-hmm. Um, the colleges just recruit players. Uh, there's, yeah. I want to say there's a lot involved in that, like a lot of different teams. I'm not, well reversed enough to give you the specific names but um i know there are a lot of colleges involved um i know there's one in uh the one i'm familiar with is ottawa who just won last year's college um college league but um yeah i don't i don't really know how it relates to the ncaa um but i do know there are a lot of colleges participating in that and offering those scholarships
0: that's cool and when you were in scott college and just now from your friends that are and you know is it like how would you rate or review because i mean Covid's been crazy, right? There's things have gone more digital. Everything's kind of, I think, Twitch in particular, these type of platforms have really gotten more popular. People are aware of them. Is it? Would you relate the kind of clout or excitement? Is it? Is it on par or similar? You know, are people getting noticed and stopped? And like, is there like a big fan base within college? Like, will people recognize you or recognize others that are that are streamers now? Is that becoming like a? a, a would you call it like? in the same class as sort of being an athlete maybe at like you know maybe not like the star football player or basketball but like you know soccer baseball like people are like see so you around and they stop you and say hey or i see your stuff like you get that a lot
1: yeah i actually did get that a lot surprisingly a lot um when i was in college uh the first time it ever happened to me outside of like a tournament event um i was at a chipotle with my girlfriend and this this random guy never met him before walked up behind me was like are you aches? I was like, yeah. Like, but that kind of caught me off guard. Cause I was really the first time in a real world yeah. scenario that I hadn't, hadn't had that experience. Um, I would say that grew and developed over time is, you know, these, you know, I, obviously I amassed a bigger fan base and a lot of people did. Um, as far as the athlete comparison, I would say we're not quite there yet. We're getting there. It's obviously a lot, you know, a lot more global and bigger for the, for these big athletes, but, Um, content creators, you know, these big Twitch and YouTube stars, I would say they're on that level, right? Then if not bigger than that level, um, for the age group and the demographic that their kind of, you know, their audience is, um, you know, let's just use Ninja courage, right? Those guys are superstars in this gaming world. Um, I, I, they probably go anywhere and get recognized. Wouldn't matter. Um, they're just kind of global powerhouse names. So, um, I'd say we're on that path, but for call of duty specifically, I mean, there are some big, you know, esport athletes who would be kind of in that notoriety group, right? Skump for Call of Duty is probably one. Uh, Nadeshot, who used to compete and now owns 100 Thieves, which is a mega brand. Um, a lot of the phase guys. So I would definitely say it kind of, you know, there are tiers to it, but but it's definitely on that level.
0: For sure. And, you know, would you say, how healthy is the gaming industry right now? Like new games, the graphics, quality, players coming in. Are you, are you aware and alert to the statistics? And would you say the game is like, is it just getting stronger and stronger because, like, the younger, the kids are starting and then people that are older keep playing? And, and what, I'm going to ask you, like, 20 questions at a time. That's all I to do. So, sorry if I no if gotta break it up. And then we'll start with that. I got more. I, I keep thinking of interesting things, that I'm just so <laughs> No problem. So, uh, yeah. Give me give me a bit on that. How's the health of the industry? I would probably
1: say it's healthier than it's ever been, and it's on a trajectory to keep going up. Um you know, when you kind of look at the entertainment spaces in general, I think I think gaming is much more bigger than like, uh, you know, movies in the box office and stuff like that. I think um, it's getting to the point. I, don't, I remember seeing the number of just like how many people worldwide are just gamers in some fashion. I know mobile games really kind of dominate, um, but the, the console generation and even PC games now is growing and I think it'll continue to grow. Um, I just think gaming's huge. I think it'll always be huge. I mean, you know, see, you see all the news of the metaverse and stuff. It's always going to play a part. You know, we don't know what Web 3 is going to look like with gaming. Um, I think I think it's just something that's going to be here and it's going to be here for a very long time. So um, I would say it's at, you know, all-time highs in terms of healthiness and it'll
0: just keep going up. For sure. And tell me about winning the World Championship, Call of Duty World Champion. You are 2014 and 2018. Give me a little bit of a difference in those two titles. You know, I guess the first one being so meaningful. It's a real money. You guys, you know, it's, it's amazing. But like, tell me about both of those actual wins. Where were you when it happened and, and how are they different?
1: Yeah. So in 2014, I was still living here in North Carolina um, and I was on the best team, right? We were the best team at the time. We kind of went into that event and, you know, expecting to win. That was just kind of uh, where we were in the rankings. Um, so that event was the life-changing moment for me, um, that money. But it kind of just solidified our position, our team at the time, as being the best. Um, you know, going on through years, 2015 up and down, 2016 up and down, 2017 up and down. Um, 2018 was the polar opposite story of 2014. I, I went in as an underdog, right? Uh, my team was good. I was on a very great organization in Evil Geniuses, and we were making, you know, great money. But, um, you know, we we didn't have a lot of success that year. We had a lot of inconsistent performances, but we went to that term as the underdog. We were in Columbus, Ohio. Um, The one before that 2014 was in LA at LA live. So it was a, it was a big event. Um, But yeah, we were in Columbus, Ohio. um, And I'd say we probably went to that tournament as a top eight team, you know, somewhere in that ballpark, but definitely not looked at as the best. Um, And we just had a great run. We, I mean, um, the team, we were so well prepared. We actually I was living in Illinois at the time uh, in a team house in Evil Geniuses. And we we basically boot camp for like a month. Right. Like my whole team, we were there. We were practicing eight hours a day. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize. You know, when we're Call of Duty, we're professionals. We're playing eight, nine, ten hours a day, nonstop every day, Monday through Sunday. It doesn't stop. Are you guys uh,
0: exercising? Do you have a schedule? Do you say we're playing these hours a day? Do you play straight? Like what's a day like during this boot camp look like? Do you have a, you have a nutritionist? Do you have people doing your food? Are you ordering Uber Eats? Give me a look on the inside there.
1: So back then we were definitely ordering Uber Eats. Um, but I'd say the gym became a priority for a lot of gamers just in general. I think that right. – that kind of I don't know when that stigma changed i poker
0: too. There was like yeah. a real shift where I was like lazy and whatever into like all right fitness and mind is important. Oh you yeah,
1: it's priority 1. one. Uh, I know a lot of players who were gym scrim, gym scrim like that's that's all they do. Um but but yeah, so for uh, a typical boot camp, um we're basically, you know, all four of us in a room side by side, uh, our coaches there. Um we at this point in time there's no nutritional coaches which they do exist now. Um, there's also some teams that provide chefs for their players now. Um, but this is back in 2018. So we weren't quite at that point yet, but, but yeah, I mean, we're waking up. Uh, we have a scrim schedule. Uh, our coach kind of sets who we're playing, when we're playing the
0: times. Um, it's Who's pretty much coach? like, who is a, Who is a coach? What, how, like, is he 25? Is he 40? Like, what let's see, you know, what, um, I'd say the coaches, the
1: coach coaches mostly are either retired players, right. Or just people who, you know, think at a high level, high IQ guys with call of duty, but don't necessarily compete. Um, but same age group, uh, kind of same friend group, stuff like that. We are all kind of in this community, so we're all well aware of everyone. Um, yeah, that's pretty much just how a coach works, but, but they, um, they, they set our schedule. They set our scrim schedule, our practice, who we're playing. Um, they record our practice. So we have VOD review after playing to kind of go over mistakes or what went wrong or, you know, figure out things that went right. um, and then, yeah, I mean, we, we wake up, we do what we got to do, and then we have a – it's basically like going to work, right? We have an hour that we got to be on. Um, you know, you got to warm up. You got to then practice. You're playing probably three teams a day, but you're playing about uh, – each team probably takes some two hours roughly on each, each set, right, each scrim. You're playing all the maps and modes uh, for your tournament. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll have a break, eat dinner, and then get back on. Um, and play another team, but after you're basically done with team practice, I would say pretty much every single pro then has just individual practice. Right? Um, we have what we call eights, which is just pickup games, right? Typical like basketball pickup it games. Called? Uh, it's called eights, so it's four versus four. There's eight guys, um, and you kind of just draft pick. Right? We'll pick two captains. They'll pick their team. Um, and it'll just be basically a free for all of guys, and we we set teams and play from there. Um, and that's just added practice, right? And that happens every night almost. Um,
0: and how and much, so, how much luck versus skill is there? Like poker, you know, you could argue this, but say 80, 20 skill. And there's luck. W- where does this come into play? Like when you tell me you were the favorite in 14 and you're like top eight in 18, give me the percent chance. You're supposed to win out of 32 teams, both times the difference. Um, roughly, I mean, do, is it handicapped? Do they have live betting odds? I'm sure there are some sites. Yeah,
1: There the- are live odds. Um, i it's kind of weird because in 2014 we were like the best team going in right like it was probably a 85 90 certainty that we were going to win that event just based oh, wow. on how good our team was we had been winning non-stop we won all the tournaments leading up to it we had not been to a tournament and not been in a grand final in about a year we were just on a dominant run right like in comparison to sports like we were just on one of those dynasty year runs um but but in 2018, yeah, it was much different. I, I You know, we would probably been a 15 or 20-to-1 favorite at least to to win that tournament. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't necessarily see the the luck involved. I mean, there is a lot of timing in Call of Duty, but that's more so just like per engagement. That's not really overall for your team.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, it is luck though, right? Because if you're supposed to win 7 out of 10 times or 8 out of 10 times, you're, and you don't, right? Like, that's a huge – like, what, what would be – I mean, what would you attribute that to then? Like just another team, well, so, maybe you weren't, didn't know how good another team was and what they were training or they got, you know, what could happen that could go so, wrong then?
1: So so the big thing is the way Call of Duty has always done odds is you go off like the last performance, right? And so there was like a month and a half window between that 2018 champs event and the event before that. So, yeah. you know, we had that month boot camp where we really grinded, prepared. No one got to see how good we were. No one got to look into like, cause the thing is after an event, you can always go back and watch the VOD and kind of, it's just like a poker, right? You can see how everyone played every hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can kind of do the same thing in call of duty. We can kind of look at their strats, look at everything they're doing, um, and, and make adjustments like that going into the next event. But, um, you know, we kind of, we didn't stream, we didn't show any of our practice. We didn't do any of that. Um, there was no theater mode in this call of duty game. Sometimes there are theater mode, which basically just VOD records every game, no matter what. Um, But there wasn't any. So no one kind of knew what we what we were bringing to the table for that event. So we went in as an underdog. um, And and, yeah, we just shocked people. Right. We performed better than expected. We performed um, better than people were predicting us to. Um, Yeah, I would say we just all had a really good individual statistic event. And that's what what led us to the uh, to the to
0: the victory. Very cool. And, you know, on that game, on a particular game, like during this, during this, how long does that last and how much is, is everyone contributing equally? Are you only as strong as your weakest link or can someone kind of marshal Lynch it and win it for you and be the MVP?
1: Um, there's definitely been some cases like that where, you know, one guy on a team would just kind of, kind of go off, right? Like there's just nothing you could do. He was just on fire. He wasn't missing. Um, that does happen. Uh, it happens. I would say less frequently than it, than it, uh, than you did, than you think, but um so each each year uh each call of duty basically every year you play a new game right so you have a basically a nine to ten month window that you're playing this one game Mm -hmm. um each tournament lasts three days you start on friday in group play or sometimes thursday in group play but you play group play uh you qualify for the bracket so we knock off 16 teams out of group play and we have 16 teams in the bracket and then it's double a limb from there um I would say those those individual performances happen maybe series to series but overall yeah I think I think you are only as strong as your weakest link in Call of Duty uh you know nowadays especially you got to have four good guys or you're not going to beat that you know that next team cuz players could have a really bad performance and and absolutely throw away that series for you yeah. um but but nowadays everyone's gotten to the point that they're just you know there's, they're pretty much all equal almost.
0: And give me a golf analogy. Like, you know, I used to play some games. Like, I played FIFA. I have some, I could hold a controller. I could kind of like get around. I played a little Call of Duty as well back maybe 10 years ago or 12 <laughs> years ago, um, or however long. I don't know. You know, I played some video games, but now I'm not having much. How hard would it be for me to go, let's call like a 110, 115 in and, and golf, right? Do you play golf?
1: Uh, I used to back in high school.
0: Okay. So, you know, I mean, you know, like the 72 is like, you know, scratch and pretty, pretty amazing. And then whatever, right. Like to get down to like a 90 or an 80, you know, how much time effort does it take? Like what's the learning curve to go from like hopeless to you can, you can mess around and compete in like a game a little bit. I mean, obviously there's various levels, right? Like to be at the top, to be, you know, say you guys are shooting five under 10 under like the best, right. Like at the top level, um, is that attainable? Is it practice? Is there some attributes, skill sets you just have or you don't? You know How does that work?
1: I think there are definitely some attributes that some people have and some don't. Um, but uh, you know, if you had never played Call of Duty ever and you wanted to pick it up, and I would say it would take you years to, to compete uh, against the best. Um, it's something, you know, it's really hard to just pick up with no experience and learn um, and be good at, right? You can always learn the game, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have, you know, the proper skill set to, to succeed in it. Um, you know, we do have some outstanding rookies that just kind of come out of nowhere. Granted, they've been playing call of duty for a while, but they just hadn't been known about. Right. Um, so for an average, just Joe to pick up the game and, and compete at the top level, it's probably near impossible. It would take hours and years and you'd have to just know that you're, you know, almost capable, right. When you first kind of start, but, um, like you said, there are tiers. So, um, competing against the best of the best versus competing in like the challengers or the college league or, or the, the college league. Um, that's probably obtainable, but I'd still say it takes a good amount of time to grind. Uh, and, and you got to remember you're playing with a team, right? You're not just playing a solo environment. So you gotta, you know, you gotta be a good communicator. You gotta put together a good team. There's a lot of factors that kind of go into it. Um, so it's definitely about how much passion you have for it and how much you really want to kind of, you know, just commit to, to that, to that goal.
0: And, and now looking at the graphics today, how much the game, how fast things are going, did you imagine in 2014 or 2018, did you, was it kind of apparent that the graphics and the, the the industry was growing and things, anything was possible or looking now, are you like mind blown where it's at, how much, how big it's gotten and how much money there is in it?
1: yeah when it when it comes to graphics man i used to think like every year i was like wow this got so much better right like even back when the the xbox one came out when we went from the 360 to the one that generation jump i Mm -hmm. was like wow these graphics are nuts and and now when you make those comparisons you're like damn that game looks like shit (laughs) right like um so it's it's crazy to me the the amount of technological just development in general um that's happened but but, yeah, in terms of prize pool, I, I, I could have never expected where it is today. I mean – What is
0: it? What is it now in this, in this particular game?
1: Um, so for Call of Duty, the, the pro league, right, the best of the best, the 12 teams, um, I think they're playing for about a seven to $8 million total purse across the year. Um, and that's guaranteed prizing, right? And it's just for 12 teams. There's not 32 teams. There's only 12 of those guys. So I think they pay out the top eight roughly for each event or top four. So I mean, you have a very good chance to win a good chunk of money. I think uh, a good example is FaZe won pretty much, you know, a, a lot last year. I'd say about half at least. And they won the major. Um, I think each of those guys walked away with like 600k each. So I mean, and a lot of those guys are 20 years old, right? So that's that's major, right? 20 years old making 600k, and then that's just prize money. Those guys are probably all on three to 350 thousand dollar a year contracts. So you know, the best of the best in the world in Call of Duty right now are probably eclipsing a million dollars a year, um, as 20, 21 year old, you know, old kids.
0: And when and you say the best, is that, is that streaming incorporated or is that just basically playing the ability to play the game or is that, is that coupled in with their, their stream presence and, and Twitch and all that? Yeah.
1: So I just factored in just raw salary. They're guaranteed from what the organization they're on and prize money. Right. Um, there's no telling, you know, there's, there's some big names in call of duty. Skump is one of them. He's probably, you know, I don't want to speculate and get it wrong, but like I say, he's on a 300 plus thousand dollar contract. He's probably making minimum a hundred thousand, $200,000 a year in, in prize money. And then on top of that, you know, his stream and YouTube success is probably bringing in a million, 2 million. Um, so it varies, right? Like it, it's kind of, there's a big gap between the the big brands at the top and you know the guys who are making the real money with content um and affiliates and sponsorships and stuff like that um so it's really kind of hard to gauge because there is a very big shift in the guy at the top versus the guy at the bottom but but yeah i mean it's a healthy living for pretty much all these guys so um, that if you're in the pro league you're you're making a handsome living
0: very cool and how does how does call of duty compare to other esports games you know can you give me sort of the totem pole on league of legends and call of duty and now um what Fortnite? like what what are like the hottest most popular games and how does that change year to year yeah so
1: call of duty kind of shifted um you know back in 2019 they announced that they're doing this 300 million dollar league um where each basically and a lot of a lot of sports kind of you know um the craft group is involved um kind of give you some names off the top of my head um the cronky who owns the rams they're involved in la there's a lot of big investment groups um seattle has the guys who own the canucks behind them um but yeah they paid 25 million dollars a franchising fee to get involved to to you know pick basically a market right they picked a city um and that's kind of the structure. So those guys then own that spot. There's only 12 of them available currently. Those, those organizations own that spot. They recruited staff and teams and and, and went from there. Um, and other esports do it a lot differently. I think Riot, which owns League of Legends, does it a lot better. They did have another franchise league, but it worked a lot differently. The buy-in was a lot lower than $25 million, which Call of Duty got a ton of slack for. Um and they basically, there wasn't a city based model. The brands got to stay the same brands that bought in and they all play in one location. Um, Fortnite does it a lot differently. They have a much more open ecosystem where it's kind of more of a free for all, right? Like, um, every team can just fun, you know, pick players and Fortnite, epic games is, you know, just providing these tournaments. So the ecosystems look a lot different in call of duty. Uh, I don't know how to really gauge call of duty success currently. Um, I wouldn't say it's a tier 1 esport at the moment in terms of just comparing it to Valorant, CS:GO, League of Legends, right, Dota, these powerhouses in esports, but um, I'd say we're hopefully on the right track and um, you know, depending on how the franchise model goes that we're currently using, it could could shift that.
0: And and how about uh, how about the highs and lows cuz you know, you come off 2014-18 you win it next year, you know, say 19, 20, you know, how how would you say you are prepared to deal with that? And do you guys get coaching? Is that is there like a mental coach or any part of your team that kind of kind of deals with expectations? And you know, how hard do some guys take it versus others? Because it can potentially be your future, right? It could be the difference between you going in the real world. I'm sure you've seen it. Some people obviously have different financial situations or families where they come from, right? If you if you come from money or if you, you know, whatever, everyone's got their different things. How, how much pressure would you say it really is? And is the industry set up correctly to deal with that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, over the last, you know, 11, 12 years, I've kind of seen the full spectrum, right? Of what that looks like. Um, and I've seen a lot of guys, you know, collapse under that pressure and fizzle out. Um, I think it is a high stress environment, especially when you're considering, you know, everything at at stake, right? You might, if you have a bad tournament, you might get dropped and there's no telling if you're going to, you know, get back on a pro team and get back that, that livelihood situation. That's happened to a ton of players. Um, It's still happening to this day. Um, And the scary thing is, I mean, you kind of mentioned like, um, you know, are there kind of things in, in, in place to to help that? And and I, I would say there are, but that only goes to this extent that you're on that team, right? If you if you get dropped from that team, you no longer have access to those resources. You no longer have that kind of ability to, to, to use that. Um, you know, it's kind of a, it's a scary thing to think about because when you're on these teams, you know, these are your employers. They're the ones that's providing you with health insurance, you know, stuff like that. You get dropped and released. Like you get a small severance for based on your, your, you know, your monthly salary, but then you're let go. And you got to kind of figure it all out. And if you don't get picked up by another team, you're basically starting at square one. So, um you know it's 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 definitely a scary thing to think about for a lot of players you know depending on their situations but um you know it's hopefully it's hopefully something that will you know continue to improve
0: yeah i mean it's probably similar to nba or A or any major league too the top teams are well funded or the you know it's a big difference between one through four and down the down to the, the relegation or the bottom of the the, the league, I'm sure it's similar, right? The oh, resources, the, the help, the, the facilities, the, everything. So I, I, I would I, say it's spot on. Yeah. yeah. Like
1: it's, they're, they're definitely like the best organization in the pro league versus the worst. It is night and day difference. Yeah, absolutely. Right.
0: And and how from what you understand with these ownerships and these teams, because the valuations have gotten pretty crazy. And I know a lot of major sports teams are involved, big names, owners, and such. Like, are people actually cashing out? Cause this seems to be when I, you know, I've actually invested in a team called Clash. One of my good friends owns Furia.gg. I don't know if you're even familiar with these teams. Yeah. And then, you know, Ascend, which is like Razor Ed Gaming. Yeah. So, like, you know, these teams, they start growing and there's this numbers, but the 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 are so these prices have got so absurd. And it's like hard to really justify or to not shouldn't say justify it's hard to really quantify what they're worth are you seeing are people cashing out has there been sales really or you know a lot of these are really high the 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 value of these teams and you think they're justified and you know do you have any 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 more would you say there's like any direct stuff you know of or people have cashed out yet or is it just too early
1: i don't think i've heard of anyone cashing out currently um I do think the evaluations on a lot of these teams have skyrocketed. Um, and to my knowledge, you know, I don't think there are currently profitable esports teams, um, right. especially Call of Duty. Um, you know, where that looks five to 10 years from now, I don't know, right? That's kind of the whole thing with, you know, investing. Like you don't know what that landscape looks like. You're hoping for profitability down the road and hoping for that opportunity to cash out. We just don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a speculative asset, right? At the end of the day, it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. um but you know I, I do think there is a lot of opportunity and a lot of room for growth um you know we were talking about you know the status of just gaming in general right it's it's a healthy ecosystem and and that's kind of what esports is hoping to tap into fully right and kind of really um you know i i think if if esports can just get to one one hundredth of a percent of just how big gaming is then then yeah i mean you're gonna start seeing these valuations make make a lot more sense but Um, you know, a good recent example is FaZe Clan, who I would probably say is one of the most successful esports teams currently in gaming. Um, You know, they're spacking at like a billion dollar evaluation uh, here soon, which is nuts to me because, you know, I used to play for that that, that team back in the day and I knew all those owners, you know, they were friends of mine. Um, But, you know, these business models have shifted. Uh, You see a lot of uh, business models shifting to kind of be a full ecosystem right they have equal part content creators equal part apparel lines lifestyle brands um not just felt solely focused on the esports and gaming aspect but kind of using that big audience that they that they developed to kind of just kind of expand that profile or that that business model in general so um you know i think it'll ever change as years goes on and we can only you know guess what it'll be like in five to ten years
0: yeah, and, and do you think to a lot of these these owners and these teams and you know kind of young? You guys are you're young. You're 27. It's it's a new industry. Are these overall teams and people from what you know are people well equipped enough? Are they are they with the tools to run these teams to to Montez? I'm sure you've seen good brands. have kind of tanked, right? Like they just like didn't, they they made some big mistakes or that the person in charge is really making not, 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 not qualified. Like, would you say that's, that's a bit of an issue too, just like in general in this industry, because it's so new and it's so young, the people involved?
1: Absolutely. Um, And I think one of the biggest things is, you know, sometimes these big investments group, you know, they hire people that are, you know, coming out of college with X degree or, you know, have experience in this other kind of, you know, genre or, or field. Um, And thinking it'll translate to esports, you know, I mean, I've seen that happen a ton and it's, you know, maybe sometimes it's worked out, but a lot of the times it hasn't because, you know, I think we are a very unique industry um, and we kind of do play by a different set of rules, so to speak. So um, I've definitely seen that happen and play out. But, um, you know, I think it's so important for these big ownership groups, if you are getting in to, to get the right people, right, get people with, you know, industry experience because i think that really goes a long way that's something that's you know you can't artificially produce that um because i do think the model you know was always trying to be like other other you know you know sports franchises or traditional leagues or stuff like that but um i don't know if that necessarily works for 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 esports as you know just a uh, in gaming but we'll see um i've definitely seen a lot of those situations that played out where people weren't equipped to to run esports teams
0: um is is your i guess i you know i do want to talk about we 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 go over here and you kind of showed your so it's a you wrote a nice piece here explaining kind of about the next next chapter in in your uh 20 years i mean 20 years ago started playing video games right two decades of 27 so you've been in this this for a long time was this how difficult was this for you to decide okay I'm going to head into development the gaming you know move into the other side of things uh, within the industry talk to me about this decision how difficult it was and and what's going on currently cuz this is uh yeah it's pretty cool man it's a very nice post thank well. you Yes
1: yeah, so um you know kind of how I mentioned from 2008 to 2000 and probably mid 2020 I was competing nonstop it was you know basically you know that's let's see I was 12, no, I was about 13, 14, um, up until the, you know, I was 25. So, you know, 13 years of pretty much the half of my life. Um, I, I was competing in call of duty, um, which, which meant, you know, a ton of sacrifices, which a lot of people don't understand, you know, a ton of social life sacrifice, a ton of relationship sacrifice. Um, it was basically nonstop for 13 years, screaming call of duty eight hours a day. Um, so, I think I got to the point where, you know, I had understood, you know, how much I had done and where I was at and kind of self reflected on that aspect where, you know, I was content with, the uh, you know, uh, things that I achieved and, and, you know, just looking back how much fun I had. Um, it was, it was definitely a hard decision, um, just cause you're walking away for something that you committed so much time to. But for me, um, it, I was always kind of the, you know, thinking, well, you know, I did, I did commit so much of my life to this, um, it would be a waste to not use that experience and knowledge that I gained over the last you know, decade in, in competing in Call of Duty. Um, so that turned out into a consulting opportunity, which I had consulted on different games before. Right. Just been involved with a lot of development processes and just a consulting advisor role. Um, I was doing the same thing um, and I got the opportunity after a few months of consulting to go full time. And it was something I just really enjoyed. I kind of really learnt, you know, loved getting under the hood and kind of learning that aspect. And that was something, as a Call of Duty player, I was always curious of, you know, how this stuff really worked um, and what that really looked like. And so, uh, yeah, I jumped on that opportunity. And, and with that opportunity, you know, it kind of let me um, dive into some other passions. I'm a part of a, uh, another podcast called The Flank, um, where it's kind of just an eSports you know, insider podcast. Um, and I'm doing another show based on the CDL and call of duty. So, you know, having time for these things is something that really opened up for me. And that's just something I never had before, right? Like you're balancing a lot when you're a competitive call of duty player and you're putting so much time into competing and being the best, right? Cause that's all that matters. Um, but yeah, and you kind of just, you learn a little bit about yourself, right? What's your life look like when that stuff's not going on? And, and that's what I learned. And I think that was really eye opening for me. And I, and I'm really glad I kind of had that. I would say I had a Roughly a year-ish, not not fully a year break to kind of have that, you know, discussion with myself and kind of learn a little bit about my interest and um, and then yeah, I decided you know I was going to fully walk away and pursue this other passion.
0: Yeah, I mean, similar in some respects. You know, I, I've I've done less streaming. We were talking about this a bit before we started how that looks like because it's kind of one of those things like you said you get to know an industry you get to know people you get to know what works what doesn't work also you have expertise right you know what how you can help people you know what you want to see as as a player as a streamer so you really have this advantage on to maybe to help and that that people have uh and, and, and i mean the crazy thing is you're 27 it's almost like you're retired or whatever but you're yeah young it's just wild like you know and a lot of experience because i think part of that too, is you, you are developing skill sets and you are, you know, an expert to say the least within your, within your craft. What, uh, what, where do you see yourself? Like you, would you be interested, um, you know, to take like an ownership manager role? Like, are you, how, how do you always see this as part of your life? Or, you know, are you just going to kind of see how this is going right now? Like what would be your, based on your personality and what you've learned and know, what do you think you would be your dream role? Let's say 10 years from now, five years from now.
1: Yeah. So I think I'm always going to be involved with gaming. I think it would just be hard not to right? my life would just look completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, in that year span that I kind of talked about before I kind of solidified a decision on anything, you know, I was thinking about that. Um, and I think I would really succeed in a manager role for, for a team. Um, granted, I mean, that takes a little bit more work to kind of figure out the right, you know, what fits and what doesn't, what opportunities are available and what aren't. Um, So yeah i definitely think maybe later down the road that's something i'm definitely open to but for now you know i'm really enjoying what i'm doing and i really hope to kind of announce and share more about what that is soon and um kind of get some more eyes on that that project but um yeah i guess we'll see i I think i'm yeah i've always liked to think of myself as i'm a i'm a really quick learner and i can kind of you know adapt to whatever field i kind of join but um yeah, I definitely want to see where I'm at. You know, five years from now, if I'm still doing this, if I'm doing something else, it'd be interesting to kind of kind of see that.
0: For sure. Well, let's. Uh, I also before we dive in, take some questions. We do have the, the giveaway, fifty dollar. I'm going to give in cash or Bitcoin. Then you guys can ask a question, get involved. I saw a lot of people uh, dropping in, so we'll try to take. We can't take all of them, but we will. Look at this <laughs> man. People want to know. They want to know <laughs> yeah. what's going on. They like to get in. They they like to see what what uh what what's the deal. And again, I think it's interesting because for a lot of the viewers who are poker base poker centric you know they maybe don't quite know all these things and and trying to you know for me it's super interesting i hope it is for everyone here what is the uh the the space in in between for you i saw that that was a you were the second longest ever for someone to win a world championship the second longest gap between two major championship victories clayster i believe was 1359 days you you were uh a a little bit i guess just under that but that you know that's pretty cool i mean it shows i guess longevity and 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 that you were, you know, because like you said, when you came in that time, like you didn't you were your team was not a favorite. You said you were coming in kind of opposite spot. Would you have maybe gone out if 2018 hadn't won? Do you think you would have maybe that would have been it or 19 or was it that give you some more runway and and more to to stick with it and keep going? Or do you think that it would have been the same for you if you hadn't won?
1: That's a good question. I I did. I have wondered that before. I don't I don't know what that landscape would have looked like if I kind of bombed out of that tournament. Um, And that goes for my whole team. Um, you know, we were obviously under a great organization who was very supportive of us, but but yeah, winning that world championship definitely opened a lot of opportunities for me. Um, you know, I was in Chicago in the team house, I lived there that whole year. We did boot camp there, but I was living there that whole year. Um, yeah, it it, it opened up to uh signing to Team Envy the following year, um, you know, being paid very handsomely, you know, in that year and then, you know, signing to another, you know, big franchise after that and being paid well. So, um that did open up a ton for me um i don't i don't know i could i probably can't say i would have had the same success if that world championship victory didn't happen
0: and and who is like the governing body who makes the decisions because i do know from my experience with some of the esports teams that i'm involved with uh, either investing or uh, you know whatever just just kind of in the mix on i do know like there seems to be some pretty strict rules with crypto nfts and such as that is that is that changing and who ultimately gets to make the this decisions on what, what sponsorships come in and, and how that works.
1: Yeah. So currently Activision who publishes the game every year, um, who just, if you just recently saw, just got acquired by Microsoft. Um, they make all decisions. They kind of are the governing body. They decide what, what goes and what doesn't. Um, I know in the past, some teams have gotten sponsored by, uh, draft I believe, and they were forced to kind of blackout tape on their jerseys, the logos. um, I think as that stigma kind of changes um, things are gonna change with it um, and those rules are kind of g- gonna open up a little bit um, but yeah I think it was also it was always just a worry of being like the first to allow it and kind of you know not knowing how that backlash may look so they obviously took the safe route and Activision is used or is very well known for taking the safe route and stuff like that so um, we'll see I mean I don't know but they they are the governing body and at the end of the day it's their league and they're making the decisions around it.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting. It's a uh, crypto uh, NFT stuff. We talked a bit as well. I mean, like you said, it, it's it's a pretty wild world right now, right? There's a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty, and it's just kind of a uh, free all in a bit. So, you know, it's uh, I think that's not even like poker doesn't really have like an overall governing body. It's kind of good to have people making united, uniform decisions, but it's also just such a unique and new um industry it's it's interesting you know that you it's it's a little bit a little bit confusing i would say in a sense and how does call of duty tie in with other games is there like a working they try to do they line up schedules with the other games and other events throughout the year like how 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 intertwined are these different games and, and and who's organizing all that
1: yeah. So Activision does everything. And I, th- I think they're, you know, I mean, I know they have a big team working on the project, uh, the CDL, but I think they try and, you know, avoid these these overlaps where other big tournaments are happening. So we don't want to put on a tournament in the same thing. But, you know, I think these these years are planned out in advance. Right. So sometimes things can happen and there are overlap. Like, for example, there's a college tournament this weekend um, and, you know, the Super Bowl is on Sunday. So they adjusted their schedule a little bit, but there's still that overlap, and you know that's always a fear because viewership is going to be affected, right? Like, I mean, I'm going to tune into the Super Bowl, um, and you know I might miss that those Sunday Call of Duty matches if that does overlap. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's it's thought of. It's it's definitely an active thought, but sometimes there are some overlap. Uh, and kind of back to the NFT thing you mentioned, 100 uh, Thieves, for example, the the very big established esports brand. They actually just released an NFT, but they didn't call it an NFT. In fear of the backlash, they called it like a um, a collectible something, just kind of to not tag that NFT tagline on it, but it wasn't an NFT. And yeah, they had like 400,000 people um, say that. So I mean, that's that's crazy to think about um, how how really big that scope can be, but kind of at the same time, the fear of you know the public opinion on them.
0: It's it, it's crazy, man. It's honestly crazy. I, I get mind blown every day. It's overwhelming. It's just a rabbit hole. Yeah. So much stuff. So many projects. So many this and that. And it's a bit. It's a bit. You know, anyone who says they're in, there's an is an expert if they're an expert. You know, it's hard to it's hard to really believe. But let's dive into some questions, man. Because there's a lot, sure. and I do want to try to knock some of these out. i really do appreciate the time. I know you've got a long day, and it's it's late. You know, ten o'clock already uh in a different world right now you got you got like real real stuff it's like you're not it's, it's not just uh yeah. whenever you got like set set a you're growing up, man, you're 27. Yeah, I got the benefit of working from home, though. That's a big benefit. That is nice. That, that is that is pretty. That is a nice thing that is pretty standard these days. And yeah. um, I shouldn't say standard, but more COVID made it more acceptable. Um, all right, let's dive in. Being part of a competitive gaming world, how does one relax after a big tournament, a championship? Yeah, tell me how do you unwind, man? Because you're on a screen all day long. I want to talk about some of that as well the effects of like. Looking at a screen, would you wear special goggles, you know, the lights, all this stuff? Like what what kind of stuff do you have to be aware of and um, how do you unwind?
1: Yeah, so I had, you know, unfortunately, I had always had bad vision um, before I got into gaming. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you win a tournament, you're relaxing on your everything's good. You got no worries. You're thinking about vacation, where you want to go to celebrate. Um, but on the flip side of that, you know, when you have heartbreaking losses, I mean, you it's hard to relax, right? Like you're going back and you're just thinking of everything that went wrong, everything that could have happened. And, and, you know, what ifs, um, and, and it's hard to kind of not have that, have that focus and that mentality because um, you put so much time into something and then you don't see the result. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's just best to kind of step away and take a break. Um, especially after tournaments, there's always kind of like a, a few day week period where teams don't practice right away um, going for the next one. So um, yeah, just, you pick up another hobby, doing something else, getting outside. You know, not staring at a screen all day. I mean, it's kind of hard not to, just based on my generation and kind of what I grew up doing. But um, yeah, it definitely depends.
0: Yeah, it's 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 hard, right? That's similar. You're on a computer all day long, and you're doing something that's mental activity. It's, it's there's there's everyone's got their own tricks and ways of dealing with it, but it's for sure you want to, I think that, that that's great advice. Uh, first time you played call of duty. What was it? How, had did you watch it? Did you just hop right into it? Who, who was the person that gave you this, this blessing to, to bring you into this world, this game?
1: So when I first played call of duty, it was back in 2006. It was uh, the call of duty two on the original Xbox. Um, I didn't have Xbox live at the time. And I got it like a little bit in after the game, it came out and I was actually way more focused on halo. Um, when I started out, I was a halo, just fanatic. That's all I played. Um, so I had a very brief experience with call of duty and it wasn't until call of duty four came out in late 2007 that my, my interest kind of, kind of changed a little bit. So that was my first kind of introduction. It was, it was brief. Um, but, but I was very casual to it. And then, you know,
0: later on down the line, I was like, wow, I really love this. (laughs) For sure. That, uh, is there any other game you considered going to throughout this? Was there any temptations or maybe you were just like good at any other games?
1: Uh, I would say I'm pretty good at a lot of games. You know, I, I've played a lot of PC games as well. I used to play a ton of Counter-Strike. Uh, recently I've been playing a game called Rust. That game is really fun. Uh, I dove into Hearthstone a lot. That was kind of in the same era time that I was playing a little bit of poker. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm a, I'm a gamer through and through, but, uh, but yeah, I've played pretty much every game you can think of.
0: Uh, first, your best PC game. I don't know. Is this different or is it the same? Same. Uh,
1: PC? yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, probably CSGO was probably what I got best at when I played the most.
0: And tell me about preparation for tournaments. So, like, do you guys sleep in? You know, you go, you you get in there. What what happens on the day of? Like, you know, is there any tricks or? or Give me like a uh, pregame, you know, do you just show up? You like literally like, say like the tournament starts at this <laughs> time, ends at this time, do you get breaks? Is it like schedule? You know, how, how does the format work on these these events?
1: Yeah, so we usually fly in on a Wednesday. Uh, sometimes if, you know, p- players are flying like coast to coast or maybe international, they'll fly in on a Tuesday. But we fly in on a Wednesday, kind of just chill. Thursday's usually the media day, knock all that stuff out, the, the content, the video, whatever, the picks. Um, And then you kind of just, you know, you're bonding with your team, right? Most players kind of just group up with their team those Thursday nights because the tournament starts Friday morning. Um, Yeah, maybe get a movie, get a dinner, um, just hang out and kind of chill with your teammates and then get a full night's sleep and go into the next day. But tournaments, yeah, they usually have set schedules, same way poker does. I mean, you kind of know exactly when and where you're playing um, and you kind of just follow that along.
0: My man Aaron here asking, I think he's actually in the the chat right now, he's asking about a specific opponent that you hated playing against was there anyone that team or, or, or someone that just like we were like man this guy's dangerous and he's got my number maybe maybe just kind of the variance of it right like in poker i feel there's a few guys not even just like that they're great but they just seem like whenever we matched up they like just didn't go didn't fall right was there anyone that kind of you got looking back on your career you're like man this guy had the best of me
1: um i don't think it was a player but there was definitely a team they were called team revenge it was facinto aqua Nagafin um and Remy they just played so weird like they didn't play like any other team they had this like oddball style of of play um and I just hated playing against it it was just train
0: train I love it they they kept (laughs) you guessing um if you had to choose a game to play now which game would you choose so say someone wants to get into gaming esports is there what's the most popular maybe you think sneakily has the most upside and just more most room to kind of get in uh to, to be to penetrate into the market
1: um, that's a really good question. I I I think you kind of I think League of Legends and Dota are really hard. Uh, Overwatch hard as well to kind of get in that ecosystem. But, um, Halo and Call of Duty are probably one of your best ones. They're you know they're shooters, and they're, I'm sure everyone has a lot of Halo or Call of Duty experience if they're gamers. So, that'd probably be my my top two.
0: Kyrian bro in the chat right now, and he also sent a tweet as well. Like, he wants to know about Tetris. You ever played Tetris?
1: Uh yeah, I've played it. I, I don't remember the last time. It was a long time ago, uh, but I definitely have. Uh,
0: what is one thing about competitive gaming, as Chris Robinson, that you didn't realize before you got into it?
1: Um, how much sacrifice I would really have to make. Um, You know, there was a ton, and it kind of – I would say it got more and more as time went on and that's something I just never could have foresaw happening. Um but again, the same on the flip side. I would have never seen the money aspect being being what
0: it is today. And looking back on it though, you know, you've given a lot. You've given a lot of time, effort, blood, sweat, tears. You know, I'm sure the travel part, the friendships, the memories. Um, is it safe to say you wouldn't trade it for, for anything? Like what you know, you could probably have done something else and maybe this or that, but is it like, you're like, this is, i um, this is amazing. And this is definitely what I wanted to do. Or were you like, wow, i really put a lot into it. And maybe I could, do you ever guess, second guess yourself or, or just, just too much goodness came out of it?
1: Yeah. I, it? I think if I wouldn't have had the success I did, I might've considered that, you know, but at the end of the day, I have no idea right where I'd be without what I've done in the last decade. i I couldn't even take a guess. I was going to school for computer science, and you know who who knows where I would ended up. But but yeah, I mean, with the six the six, success I had, and the people I've met, and everything that I've kind of endured, I there's no way I could trade it. And
0: give me what a practice regimen looks like in an elite level. You know, poker now there's a lot of th- there's a lot of solvers, right? You you hear about backgammon, the game gets solved. Chess, there's solvers and trainers. Is there is there is there a market for that or is that something where there's videos and people are like teaching you the the GTO game theory, optimal play, like, all right, this is the, this is, you know, they used to give you like the cheat sheets on James Bond and in the game stops with like all the stuff in Grand Theft Auto, like the books. Is there like a, is there this part of this? Like, are you spending time watching film, watching other teams? You know, Give me the breakdown other than the scrims and, and what you do personally, like what all encompasses uh, practice and studying
1: Yeah. So nowadays, especially, I mean, there's teams that have three coaches, right? They have coaches for different game modes, analysts, coaches for for this or that. Um, So outside of that kind of like eight hour practice session. Yeah, there's VOD review. Um, You know, you're thinking of optimal ways to play. You're thinking of new ways to play things to do against specific opponents. Uh, There's a lot that goes into it. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's all about executing, right? You could have a great game plan and have everything kind of all boxes checked. But if you go into that game and you don't execute, like, you know, nothing, nothing came out of it.
0: For sure. Um, uh, Let's see. There's a question. Oh, yeah. I mean, 2014, 2018, you you seem to be on this, this (laughs) even years, big years. What do you got in 2022? What's up your sleeve? Is this is this a record? I mean, it sounds like you got a big movie made. Is this your biggest year yet or what?
1: Yeah, I think I, I have uh, some surprising news. Um, you know, I'm really hoping to kind of get it out as soon as I can. Um, I'm not sure on an exact date yet, but it will be soon. And kind of uh, look into what I've been doing and, and my plans for the future.
0: Uh, with all the hilarious, toxic stuff about Halo snipers, what does the COD scene think about snipers? I'm not up on what this means, but Justin Kylie asking.
1: <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I, I, it's You know, it's weird because the, the skill level and kind of the the options that Sniper have change year to year based on the game and the development team who's making the game. Um, yeah, I don't think we, we think of it the same way Halo does, but, uh, you know, on a competitive stand, pr- stand uh, standpoint, you know, we want Snipers in the game. We think it adds a, that complexity to the game, um, but it, it comes down to just as long as it's fair and balanced, we're all for
0: it. What about principal goal for the year? Do you set New Year's resolutions? Do you have any particular kind of goal? I want to spend this much time doing this. I want to learn a new language. Do you have anything in particular that you you have uh, your eye on right now?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, as I mentioned, I am joining uh, a studio to work on a game and in game development. And I think for me um, this is kind of like a big year to learn, right? Like I want to just be a sponge and soak in as much information as I can. Cause you know, there are things that I'm not, <clears throat> you know, not accustomed to. And so for me, this is just a big learning year in general. Um, and you know, something I'm kind of fully embracing, uh, I'm doing, like I said, different things. I'm doing more podcasts, uh, stuff like that. I might dabble a little bit into streaming if I have that time, but yeah, it's kind of just a growth and a learning year for me.
0: Makes sense. Uh, we got Ghost of M, Marco, the man, the myth, the mod, the the absolute legend been around. I don't know if you know him or not. He's been in the Twitch streets forever. He's here at the moment. He's asking about chess or speed chess. And if you ever competed in speed chess as a kid.
1: So I never played speed chess, but I did actually play a ton of chess growing up. Um, and, I, and I still dabble, you know, every now and then online. Um, it's a fun kind of little hobby, something I probably wish I did more of. But, um, yeah, always been a fan.
0: Very cool. Have you ever shot from a real gun? What kind of gun, if so?
1: Yeah, quite a few actually. Um, I mostly shotguns and pistols, but um, I actually own a six-hour two-two-two-six, which was the uh, uh, it was a Call of Duty Ghost. Uh, it was like the main sidearm in Call of Duty Ghost. Um, and yeah, I got one for myself. That was kind of my birthday present to me. I don't remember what year it was, but uh, but yeah, that's what I what I personally own.
0: I don't want to go like, I don't want to go political. This kind of, this question makes me think about it though, because, you know, I I have a two and a half year old that I grew up, I love Grand Theft Auto, like the original. I played San Andreas, even I think in high school. I remember my junior high school, I was basically playing online poker in my free time or this GTA and the graphics, like from that first, you know, that Grand Theft Auto where it was like, it wasn't really first person, right? It was like the car you're kind of in, and then it like shifted into like Vice City or San Andreas. Vice City, yeah, yeah. yeah, It was just like, but, um, you know it, you can't completely ignore it it's probably not the most fun thing to talk about but i'm just curious from like a gaming perspective uh do you think like you know i watch it and it's it, for me it makes me think too like you see these violent games you know even like call of Duty, shooting games and whatnot you could argue i think either side right they're like oh it's like you know it lets people not go out and do it they get to play a game but you know does it maybe invoke emotion or you know you just mentioned you got a gun like i don't know what I don't even know where to really go with it. I guess my overall question is, do you believe that inherently this is, it causes maybe more violence? Do you think it causes less, the same, it doesn't make a difference, or it just makes people more aware of it? And, and, um, you know, what what do you think? There are some pretty graphic games too, whether they're horror games or, grand theft auto or call of duty you know you're sh- it's shooting so so what's your stance on that i guess just like a brief i don't want to get i don't want to go too crazy on this yeah it's so exciting um and i mean in terms of like you know it's kind of like it's like a bit of a deep topic but i just curious your overall thoughts have you ever considered that and you get you get people parents and like you see you know like animal rights activists for animals like is there a, le- a real strong push where parents and people like all these games you got to stop them do you see that as well
1: yeah, I've seen a lot of that over the years. Um, politicians, news, you know, parents being involved. There's a, there's a lot of that. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's the same as a movie, right? You can kind of, you know, feel that same kind of opinion on it. Um, but for those games that do have blood and glory and violence, you know, they're mostly rated R, right, for mature. Um, so the, the parent aspect with the minors, um, you know, I think that is covered, right? Like, if you don't want your kids um, having that capability to see that or be involved with that, then... Um, you don't buy the game for him. But other than that, I mean, I think there's, you know, a lot more kind of crisis going on in the country that, you know, could be dealt with before we we look to blaming video games and entertainment stuff.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's well said. Um, what motivates a champion to retire? The number of victories or the possibility of accumulating losses with the emergence of new players with the ambition to be champion. So this is from hanyo 75 uh, who asked a question about you know you won the championships? Was it easier to retire? I guess is the way I'll sum it up: easier or harder to have these championships and then?
1: Yeah, I it. mean that 2018 win was definitely a lot harder than my 20, 2014 one. But uh, I think you know what uh, what it really comes down to is your kind of level of passion, and and that's something that you know you you can't really control, right? If you just wake up one day and feel different about what you're doing, it's just it's just a natural phenomenon. I mean. Um, you know, I would have loved to say that, you know, I loved competing the same way I did when I was a kid or a little bit younger, or, you know, whatever, when, um, but yeah, things change. I mean, people, people's just lives change and goals change. So I think that was something that hit me late in my career. I mean, I'm sure it's hit a lot of other people, but, um, but yeah, you kind of just, you fall out of love with what you're doing. And, and if that happens, I mean, the most responsible thing to do is walk away, right? You don't want to, you're in a team environment. So if you stick around and not, you're not giving hundred percent to, to your teammates and to even yourself, I mean, you're doing, doing yourself and everyone else a disservice. So when you fall out of love with something, it's,
0: it's just one yeah, of those things. I think that's, that's, uh that's again, very well said. Um, take a couple more here. I see a, uh, in a pandemic situation like now, what is your contribution to the world? I mean, this is an interesting kind of kind of uh wording but i guess <laughs> let's go so during the pandemic what what do you feel like maybe were you able to be more productive was this uh yeah talk to me a bit about your pandemic and, and what it is like for being a professional gamer or I ask mean, yes, you're still technically during what so this is like march 2020 you're still playing or still competitive to, i mean you're still in this space right so is that like was it what was the world thinking like within your friends and people the community when this is happening because it must have seen a growth yeah game and popularity. And so there's some positives in that sense, although it's, uh, it's a kind of terrible thing. People are, bad things are happening. It's a crazy time, a lot of uncertainty, but for you personally, what were some benefits maybe or things that you were able to do?
1: Um, yeah, so I kind of really had a, you know, I was obviously fortunate that, you know, I had a great income, but you know, during the pandemic I was in LA. Um, I moved out to LA late 2019 when I joined the franchise that was based in LA. Um, And around um, March, I got put on the bench. So I got benched by my team, but I was still on the team. Um, So my income was fine. But I was in L.A. right when lockdown happened. And if anyone's familiar with California, they had very strict lockdown rules throughout basically that whole year. Uh, My apartment lease was 15 months. So I was there until February of 2021. So my pandemic experience personally was was pretty um, pretty bad in terms of just mental health and just kind of, you know, not having the capability to do the things that I would have preferred to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things I, I'm sure people had it a lot worse than me. So I'm not one to complain, but, um, definitely wasn't an enjoyable experience for me at all being in LA, not much to do. Um, and that kind of was the, the beginning of my tell end of my career.
0: Right. Uh, we got a question about poker here. Marcelo asking now that you're retired, do you plan to play more, more poker?
1: i would absolutely love to um i even talk about it, that that punta Cana trip that we were talking about comes up you know almost once a month uh, between me and methods kind of talking about yo like let's go back that was awesome yeah. um so yeah i mean i would love to i don't really know what those you know how how necessarily op- or how how much those opportunities happen especially now the pandemics going on and stuff like that uh obviously living in the us as you kind of touched on it's a very hard thing to, to play poker online um but yeah i mean that's something that I've, I've always been interested in i think i always will be um i think i watched a uh a phil helmuth video the other day like his rages on youtube it was on my recommended and i sat there for like a couple hours watching it so um that's a love i've always had and i think i always will so definitely love would ha- love some opportunities for that
0: shout out to phil he's been on the pod three times and, and we're on a lot of investments great guy funny guy and he, <laughs> he really can blow up with the best so um, yeah, you can't, you know, that's something fun about live poker. You never know what's going to happen. And uh, it's kind of crazy. Right, I got a question about favorite food. Normally, I wouldn't even ask this, but because as a gamer, you know, I can relate with some, you know, break times, poker, scarfing down food, having to go to, what's sort of like your, 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 what's that meal that you just throughout the scrims, the long days and you're at home, what, what's like you think you ate the most or that you would just love to something quick, fast, easy? Oh, to man. Eat
1: I would probably say in 2018. Um, so I lived in a team house in Illinois. Um, and we were playing a lot in 2018, but, uh, there was, um uh, obviously a delivery service and it was kind of my, my real first time, you know, living in a team house. So I was doing this frequently. Uh, I put on a lot of weight that year, but, uh, firehouse subs, I just, I think I got it like at least twice, three times a week. Cause it was quick. It was right by the team house. Um, and nice. it was something to sub, right? It's easy to eat, but, um, I don't know if that's necessarily my favorite food, but that definitely was something that I ate nonstop that year.
0: Very nice. Yeah, we did it. We did a, a house in Montreal with four of us for, for a month and we ate boostons in Mon- have you ever been to Montreal? That was something we uh, yeah,
1: yeah, once I consulted on uh, Rainbow Six Siege and I was in Montreal.
0: Very nice. Yeah. sick six 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 city. But yeah, there's uh streaming you can't be too picky, right? You gotta you gotta find something yeah, quick. To do, get it get it down. We got a question about VR in the chat, games you're playing. Do you do any VR? You got thoughts on Oculus? Do you think this is a winner? Is it is where the gaming world's moving to or is it just too far out because of logistics and like you know you put it on how are you going to stream on twitch and they don't see it like uh, do you think it's is it a threat is it good is it bad you indifferent
1: uh i'm pretty indifferent right now i think vr will be huge i just don't think it'll be huge now i think it's still a ways out from that kind of development um but I think it's 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 kind of endless possibilities with what they can do with VR. So it's something I got my eye on. Uh, I don't personally play uh, anything VR. I guess I really haven't tried it. I think I tried it at one E3 convention. Um, but but yeah, I think I think that's something I kind of want to know what it's like five to ten years from now because I think it will be huge.
0: For sure. I, I agree with you too on that. Uh, tell me what you do advanced gamers do to keep their eyes from getting tired and forgetting getting tired from damaging. Do you, do you use, it looks like you got some, maybe some Blu-ray or some kind of some screen glasses there. Those regular, like, are there any tricks um, there or anything? I do that, have
1: yeah. that blue light uh, reflection in my lens. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I've never, uh, I never really thought about it. Um, they, they did have something back in the day called gunner optics, which is just basically like a yellow onyx lens. Um, and you could get prescription the same way. Um, but the biggest thing I do is uh, there's a program called, I think it's Flux. It's free to download on any PC. It basically orange tints your screen. So if you're looking at a screen a long time, it kind of adds that same layer where it just it makes it less hard to look at. So that's something I think I've used for six, seven, eight years now. I can't even remember a uh, simple program just tints your screen. Basically, mm-hmm. um, that'd be the one thing I suggest.
0: Very nice. That's a good idea. Actually. I don't do that. Um, and what about the the age for gaming? We got some questions about age and being too old or not, or what, what's like the, you know, in soccer, football, there's the age, the prime, what, what's the prime age currently of a gamer?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I probably 18, right. Cause we kind of mentioned that, you know, rated M for mature thing. That's kind of like where a lot of games are nowadays. Um, so I think the, for a professional gamer, um, I guess we'll say 16, but 16 to probably 30 is that range. I think, you know, after 30, if you still have the passion and interest, by all means, keep going. But I think, you know, you know, you know how that goes. You you reach that age where things just change in life for you. You might be settling down with a family. You might be thinking about kids. Um, there's just a lot of factors that go into it where. Your interests are just automatically going to shift. So I think that's probably the the safest range. That's sixteen to kind of thirty, with the the middle being the peak.
0: Makes makes perfect sense. Um, what's your favorite COD? Which one was your your favorite one?
1: Oh, uh, probably pl- probably Black Ops Two, which is the year before uh, I won the World Championship. So it was twenty thirteen. Um, so we we lost the big tournament. That's the one I let, I, I told you I got fourth in. Mm-hmm. Um we lost the major one, but we won all the small ones after that. And um yeah, I think that was just kinda like the start for everything for me, is that year, um going on that run and then just it just set up everything else and I just had the probably the most fun that
0: year. Uh and well, do you know this person Hertz dog is asking do you think he yeah. can help the E G Champs run? You know who that is? Yeah, I know who that is. Um
1: he's been a, been a big supporter of mine for a very long time. Um so hey man, I appreciate you, but uh yeah, I mean, hey, all support helps at the end of the day.
0: That's awesome. I saw Scott Ball giving you some love, too. I don't know if you remember yeah. him. I know him from Twitter. Hey, that's the
1: one who uh, hooked me
0: up with the option to go to Punicana. That's awesome. He Got actually – he, he did – you, Are you familiar with what his poker run he just had recently? No, I'm not. What happened? He, he won two World Series of Poker bracelets this summer and uh, a lot of money, like – you know, no kid, and he got a player of the year at the World Series for the No Limit events, right? Shout like, out Scott! Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, man. and he's he just was on the podcast as well, but um, he's got his agency going, doing doing well, and um, yeah, he's he's on fire, man. He's playing yeah, like it's, it's been a little while since
1: and, I talked to him.
0: He's doing really well. That's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, up for sure. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll give him a shout, and he is he's definitely crushing poker right now. Um, all right, well, listen, I think. There's just a lot of positive words here. Uh, oh, let me just – we'll do this last one because this is kind of like a, an injury. Is this true? He says, Big fan. What, what thoughts on winning kept you focused when you injured your thumb and won a championship? Was there an actual injury here?
1: Yeah. So uh, I'll just kind of give you the rundown of the story. It was uh, 2014. Um, the new Call of Duty Advanced Warfare just came out. Um, we were at a tournament on Thanksgiving weekend, actually. It was really funny. We were in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I cut my thumb on a, uh, a glass picture frame in the hotel room. Okay. Um, basically like right here, on um, that kind of like underneath thumb skin right there. Um, okay. I went to the ER. I got six stitches to close that up. Uh, I didn't sleep any that night. Tournament was at 10 a.m. that morning. I got back to the hotel at like eight. Uh, no sleep. Um, first series I played, I got absolutely shit on. I probably had the worst year I've ever had in my career. Um, we were in loser bracket and then we bring it back and we win it all in two best of fives in the grand final. Um, and that was, uh, that was probably, you know, that's in my top three for sure. in my just entire gaming history, but, but yeah, that was a wild run. I, can, I still can't believe it happened to this day. Um, probably my teammates can't either. Cause I saw their face when I walked in that morning. Um, but yeah, that was a crazy, crazy story that I'll probably never forget.
0: The flu game. That's your flu yeah. game. There you go. Very, very nice. Well, listen, I'm loading it up, man. We appreciate it. We're going to give a $50 in Bitcoin or, uh, cash. So I'm going to load it up and then I will let you, tell me when to select it here shortly. But um, yeah, man, anything else, I guess, to to cover? I think we, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about you. I learned a lot about esports. And I, I really, uh, I'm excited for you, man, because I know, you know, the, the, I don't know how to compare it. I would just say that like, I, I felt like in the last few years to my transition from like playing all the time, streaming all the time into sort of the other side of it. It's sort of, you know, a lot of ways, I think it's more fun. Like, it just takes a bit because you're kind of holding on. You're like, man, like you see people streaming or you see a big tournament or, you know, I'm sure you're watching you're like, man, I played that or I want to be in there. I know I could still do it and compete or be one of the best, but it's sort of like, you know, once you kind of let go of that, where you're like, you know what? I'm going to help other people with their dreams or I'm going to build something. Like you're going to put your stamp maybe on the, the industry, right? Like a, a feature yeah. of a game or a, a rule of a game or something that's sort of uh, revolutionary. And I don't know exactly what you're up to, but it does sound like you are kind of on the inner workings of some cool stuff and, and developing the games. And, and again, no one knows more, right? You put in the time, the hours you've won, you know, what you want to see, what you want to get better, what you want to improve on. And I think yeah, it's in a good, good space, good, good, good place where the, the games are headed and, and what, what you've got going. So yeah, again, man, I really appreciate it. And I will, uh, you know, thanks again. And we'll let you kind of pick the winner here. You just tell me when and someone's going to win 50, 50 right.
1: You're scrolling down and I pick.
0: Uh, I, so it's, it's, a, it's in like a retweet giveaway picker. It's all loaded up and okay. you just got to tell me when. Okay. Ready? Go. Boom. All right. So we'll choose the winner. It's going to screen for bots. We're going to DM oh, uh, this cool. person, Jared green one. He is going to win. Look at this. I don't know. Congratulations. It's, like, it's got something there. Congrats to him. <laughs> he is hitting the retweet buttons. He's got you there. He qualifies. I'm going to send him a message and <laughs> Looks like he's won. Some guys win multiple things, you know. There it is. It's yeah, $100 always get getting in. Hundred dollar, twenty two dollars. So he's up almost two hundred on the on the thing, man. That's pretty. It was like that's pretty eight cool. months ago, maybe even more. Maybe even he's won more. I can't tell. This guy looks like they. Some guys can do it, you know. Some guys are multiple champions. You know that. And, uh, <laughs> I do do really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope we get to connect again live, hopefully at a poker stop uh, in the future, and we'll definitely be in touch. And uh, congrats, man. Congrats on all your success and. And um, you know, best of luck on the the next phase of your journey.
1: For sure, man. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And you know, always keep me in mind if there's a poker opportunity somewhere. And after you maybe post COVID, we can. I'd love to travel out of the country and have some have some fun again.
0: There's a lot. There's a lot going on. I'll tell you. The poker, speaking of gaming industry, is healthy. The poker industry is very healthy. Live poker setting records, like World Poker Tour. I'll just give an example here in South Florida. They had last year during with the plexiglass up. Everyone had to wear masks. They oh yeah, twenty five percent more. Like record, like 2,500 entries for a 3,500 main event. Whereas in 20 years, they had never had 1,800. Like, was so, I mean, you know, it's pop in the world. Everything's up. Numbers are up. People love poker and, you know, it's healthy. So we'll, uh, you know, what I think
1: COVID did? I think it kind of really let people hone in on their passion, right? Like, if things they weren't focusing on before, they kind of had a little extra time to kind of just, you know, get back into things that they were missing out on.
0: It's, it's, it's well said. And again, it's, it's, you know, we don't want to go down the rabbit hole, talk about politics, religion, COVID, but you know, it is what it is. Teach his own. It's been a crazy time, Uh, unfortunate, but at the same time, I think there's been a lot of learnings growings, and there are probably a lot of positives people that were highly, intelligent, motivated, we're in kind of pushed into to be in one spot, you don't have to worry about FOMO, missing events, going to weddings, all this stuff, like you're there, you're locked in, if you want to do something powerful, you have an opportunity to really, you know, kind of push forward and grow. And uh, yeah, I think, um, in a lot of senses, there's a lot of people are better off. And you know, at the same time, it's been a hard time, a crazy time. And, you know, hopefully, we'll, we'll move out and forward and, and be better. But uh, I do appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. People can give you a follow. Give him a follow. Patrick Price, man. See what he's up to. Stay tuned to his announcements. Twitter's his main deal. Uh, follow him. Aches on there. Actually, well, goes by Aches, And on your Twitter, I uh, don't want to lose this. I got to make sure I DM this person. But we can see there he is right here. There's an announcement. And you can see right there. Give him a follow. At Aches. Patty P. What is Patty? Just for Patty Price? Patrick yeah. Price. Yeah, it's just
1: something that people started calling me
0: i love it i love it i love it all right well listen man i am going to uh real quick here is there any who do you i I just going to ask you personally is there any uh streams you like to watch the most like is there any gamer you would highly recommend or a friend of yours that's streaming now that that you recommend because i know you haven't really been for a while streaming on twitch do you you watch it ever or or not really
1: yeah uh, i I watch pretty much all the time Uh, if i'm not doing something you know and i'm at my computer i have a stream up on one of my monitors uh Probably one of my good friends. His name is Censor, C E N S O R. He's streaming right now.
0: C E N S O R? All right, cool. I, I, I'm, i you know, I'm rusty. Like I said, I haven't been much on Twitch, but I'm going to, I'll send him a raid. C-E-N-S-O-R. I do appreciate you very much. And uh, you guys can also watch on Jeff Gross Poker. It's Jeff Gross Poker 247. I do have a channel of highlights, replays, and of course the podcast is going on. All the outlets I invite you to follow along. And uh, I got some big announcements. Stay tuned. Big guests as well coming up, just like our man, Patty P aches in the house. We appreciate it. Sure. Thank you so much, Pat. I will send this. Oh, actually, no, I forgot to. So you got to raid. Got to let it wait. Then I do yeah, it, you I gotta do it first got now. Yards. I'm on stream yards, but I can't click end. I have to do the thing. And uh, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm figuring it out, man. Like I said, I'm a little bit technological <laughs> challenge. We'll send this raid and we will uh, close this down. I'll see you all very soon. Thank you so much. And, and cheers, man. I'll stay in touch. Great yep, to talk. Yeah,
1: for sure, man. Let's do it.